I'm Floyd Hall. The Spelman College Museum of Fine Art is presenting a new exhibition entitled Africa Forecast, Fashioning Contemporary Life, which coincides with the commemoration of the museum's 20th anniversary. I recently spoke with visual artist Vanessa German, whose work is included in the exhibition. I'm Floyd Hall, and I have the pleasure today of speaking with visual artist Vanessa German. Vanessa, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am very wonderful. Glad to have some time with you today. And I want you to correct me. Um, I look at some of your visual work, and I think I call them dolls. And that's not right. And I want to investigate that further um, so that our listeners who may see those images at some point in time will see them as what they truly are, um, as, as not dolls, but as the sculptural assemblages that they are, the black power figures that they are. And I would love for you to uh, talk to me about that. Uh, so I don't necessarily feel like I need to correct you, but I can add sure. to... Uh, because it's, you know, it's valid that you look at my work and you would see doll because they're um, in this show. What the work is, some of the work is like small representative doll-like figures, but they're not dolls. They're not playthings. They're not toys, and they were actually never toys. <laughs> so they are uh, mixed media assemblages. So some of them um, are just maybe the head of a doll that I use as an armature, and I build out to make uh, the face and the like, build up the inside the infrastructure of the piece. And they are. Uh, assembled from sometimes hundreds and thousands of ordinary objects. So hundreds of spoons, thousands of bullets, thousands of cigar wrappers, and the accumulation of whatever object is on a particular piece speaks to the power of the piece. Some of them have lots of different objects on them that are connected um, by a secret, and they're sort of visual riddles. There are layers and layers of sight and little adventures in sight to be had. If you look at one of my sculptures and you say, oh, it's a skirt of Blackberry cell phones, which are connected to like Nike keychains, which are connected. And so there's sort of like this adventure in sight and um, that adventure in sight accesses, you know, and reaches into like, somebody's memory into somebody's like their own like internal filing cabinet of their experience with those objects and so there's a connection that happens um, by sight of the piece and I have to you know I have to say that if looking at them and thinking that they're a doll takes you into that place then I'm cool with that but you I don't pick it up and play with it <laughs> Because their insurance isn't going like that. <laughs> understood, understood. And I'm, I'm curious about your hands and the focus on those assemblages and what you feel when you're putting those together. I love my hands. I People always would tell me that my hands look like my mother's hands. And my mother 
my mother died three years ago and we have the same birthmark. So the same birthmark on my mother's hands. And my mother was a fiber artist. And we grew up making things. I grew up in the 80s in Los Angeles. So one of the ways that my mother kept us alive and kept us safe was by piling stuff all over the dining room table and she would tell us to make things like if we wanted anything new if we wanted new toys if we wanted new clothes she'd be like you're gonna have to make that which was coming up in LA was sort of humiliating because you would try to like make your own guest jeans and like make your own cool tennis shoes and stuff Um, but my mother really would do that so we I grew up having um, a fundamental and elemental understanding that Uh, the work of my mind and my imagination that comes through my hands and becomes a tangible physical thing is not novel. It's not trivial. It's literally, I was imbued by my mother with the sensibility that I make the substance of my life, right? And so my hands are the, um, my hands are like the greatest tool and gift of my life to be able to do that. So I um, make sculptural assemblages that's one of the types of um you know physical manifestations of the work and i call them contemporary power figures so they're uh visually you can look at them and you can tell that they're connected to something else that you've seen they're connected uh to something that maybe reminds you of africa maybe reminds you of uh like the work of other indigenous people from around the world because there's an accumulation of objects. So one of the things that my hands do and one of the things that I permit my hands to do is to um, to feel. So I am not always thinking about what I'm doing, but I truly trust the frequency of my soul to feel what is yes and to feel what is right. And that's an enormous part of creating those works because there was a point in my life, so I've uh, seriously attempted suicide three times and the last time I realized that I didn't have to like take pills or like try to shoot myself, that I could will myself to death. I could sit in a chair and just die if I wanted to die. But around that time I was also seeing a lot of is seeing and hearing a lot of people say things like there's power in art and there's power in love and I felt like it was sort of like a bumper sticker from the 60s and I didn't know how to access that power like if it was power how could I um, experience it so one of the things that I just did was for six months I let myself do what I felt And that meant that on trash day, I would go out and I would like look for just interesting things in the trash. I live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of vacant houses and I would pick things up and I would let my hands feel what was right. And then I would go into my little moldy basement in Homewood and I would just move objects and stack objects in a way that felt right. And so that then like rooted um, both my brain, my like the technical, parts that engineer things but also connected to the oldest part of me which is my instincts like I'm mostly made of water like instinctively water knows always exactly when to freeze when to melt you know so I was like instinctively uh, moving through stacking objects and creating things and inside of that I really would just allow myself 
without judgment to create things that felt right. But what happened to my mind when I was creating things that felt right? Like there's sometimes no other way to say a thing than uh, to ask the question, how does it feel? Does it feel right? And can you trust yourself to follow that? Well, I heighten the frequency of my capacity to to like hear and to trust what is right. Um, but what would happen when I was thinking is, when um, I was suicidal, and so I would like put my thoughts and I would put my despair and I would put the tangles of my concerns into the hours of doing something that felt right. And I found that it clarified my thoughts because I would do these tedious, repetitive, creative tasks like beating a face one seed bead at a time and just very slowly having to do this like repeated motion that then removed a lot of static and obstacles in my mind. So I was doing something that felt right with my hands. I was in a place of like deep instinctive and intuitive listening. But then there was this other part of my mind that was like consciously working through the mire of what weighed me down and it all came out through this process and at the end of that I would have this object that was a document like literally a relic and a document of time and of healing and of a thing that you know whatever was happening so I can call them power figures because I found out what people meant when they said there's power in art Uh, And so I found that power for myself through my hands and through um, trusting what I call the technology of my soul, which is my instincts and like the innate immutable parts of my being. You talk about those figures being being documents, Mm -hmm. Um, having some historical element to them, but also having some of the now element of of them in terms of Mm -hmm. them being what you and would. And of the f- future. And of the future. Yeah. Um, when you look at completed works, how much of yourself do you see in that document that's created? Well, m- you know, myself is a lot of selves. Like inside of my DNA literally are all of my people. It's just biology. Your people are present inside of you. So when I look at them, I see... Um, I see and I hear um, many worlds and many lives, and I don't always understand. And I just created an army of 31 black female power figures, and I walk into the room sometimes and I think, wow, did I do this? I, I'm one person. And these, you know, this is an army, and uh, there are, there, some are a lot more personal than others, and some are, Uh, like purely opening up a vein of instinct and working um, instinct to instinct uh, within like the technical facility that I have of the materials. And so I could look at, you know, one piece and feel and see something that I don't see in another piece. So moving from your hands to your voice, uh, I'm sure our listeners can can hear uh, by now that uh, you you speak with some 
strong connection to the past, the present, the future, and you have a good understanding of of uh, where you are in this moment. Where did you and when did you find your voice? Um, I don't feel like my voice was ever lost for me. I don't feel like I had to, um, you know, I can remember being a kid in L.A. and looking into the mirror and looking into my eyes and um, understanding that uh, I was created by the same creator that created the sky and the ocean. I have understood that. And I understood also that I was in a world that didn't understand that. And so there I always feel like I had inside of me secret communication with my creator and that I feel my voice is deeply connected to that. Uh, there came a period in time where, as a performer, I understood that there were things that, because I grew up performing in L.A., like a bunch of, like, L.A. performing kids, you know, reading other people's work and reading other, performing, like, Shakespeare and Gilbert and Sullivan, like, doing musical theater and stuff like that. And I came to a place where I didn't want to say anybody else's words. And I wanted, there were things that I wanted to say, and there was a way that I wanted to feel when I was saying those things. So I wanted to experience experience sound and I wanted to experience voice in dimensions that I wasn't getting from other people's work. So that happened when I was a teenager. So then I started to write and then I started to layer information in sound and in voice. So like allowing riddles to ride like the rhythm of sound. And so I started to play what, with what was possible, um, like what all information you could put into the sound of a voice. Tell me about your process of writing. I write all the time. I uh, write different styles. I write to perform, and then I write for the public. A lot of people, uh, sort of the social media world, follow my writing. I feel no obligation to uh, bow down to the king's English. Sometimes I, you know, I I'm like a grammatic. I sort of have. <laughs> sculptural grammatic qualities like people sometimes think I'm semi-literate but I'm not I just choose to to um, when I'm writing for the page and writing for the world I try to make the writing look like how I feel it because I feel like how I (laughs) I feel like feeling is important not just thinking and not just you know breaking things down I feel like I want people to feel it even on the page. Uh, And so when I write that way, it looks like that. And I write to perform. There are times when I write things, and like I said earlier, I'm thinking about the feeling of sound. I'm thinking about the information that I can put literally into the sound waves. And so I will write sometimes, uh, like the beginning of If My Hands Are Anything Other Than Hands is like, lyrically and rhythmically so complicated that the brain you can't you hear every seventh word but if you ride the wave of the sound there's information in that so sometimes I write roots I write like basically magic spells at the beginning of poems that happen so rhythmically fast that all you can do is write it but then it takes you into um, sort of a place of trance and a place of being where 
whatever is the next part of the poem, um, perhaps there are like less layers on your heart and your mind after the magic spell to hear and receive the other words. So I'm writing um, for love and I'm writing for your eyes and I'm writing for your soul and I'm writing for the places of pain and love and joy that connect us and I'm thinking about that when I'm writing. I'm thinking about your eyes when I'm writing. I'm thinking about how um, sometimes I may just have to put a thing down on the page that I know won't like it looks like linearly it doesn't make any sense but it will feel perfectly right and there are times that I like just totally lend myself to that I love writing I love the process of writing I love how it takes me to another place but most of the time I'm writing to perform right and so when I'm writing I'm also all the time saying what I'm writing out loud Until it feels right. Until it feels right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll repeat one part. Like I'm writing right now, we're doing a reinterpretation of August Wilson's Gem of the Ocean. And so I'm writing, as I'm writing this, I will let the rhythm help me to find the next place, right? And so I'll just keep saying one part over and over again. And people always ask me how I memorize things, um, how I memorize so many words. It's because there's so much repetition in building the work. And I let the rhythm and the momentum of that take me to the next words. And it's almost, almost like people watch me write on the plane. It's like I do this with my hands because I feel like it's right here. And if I keep saying it, I like basically walk my fingers up a staircase in front of my face. And I'll keep inside of that rhythm reaching and reaching until I find it. And I'll find it. It's almost like it's moving around in through the air. It's a poem that already exists. And I have to catch the frequency of it. And I lend myself completely to that, even if it looks like it doesn't make any sense at all. There's so many things in this world that we act like make complete sense, and it's utterly pathological. You mentioned that your mother was an artist. She was a fiber artist. Fiber artist. Mm -hmm. What was it like um, when you decided to pursue art? Um, given the context that your mother was a fiber artist, how did you take those initial steps down that path? Uh, so I, we were never not making anything. I didn't understand that it was something that people went to school for and got degrees for because it was always a complete part of my whole life. My mother made our clothes. We would have to cut patterns out. We would make books and make recordings and make, you know, everything. So when... I remember being in high school and there was comes a time when there's all the pressure thinking about college and I knew that I never wanted to go to college. I didn't understand why people went to college and I didn't understand why people uh, borrowed money to do that. And I said, why, especially when there's information available and I'm certain that somebody knows what I want to know. So I just... I didn't go to college. I always just did what I did. I always made things. And if I wanted to learn something new, then I got a job at a place where somebody was doing that. And I asked them a lot of questions and I learned and then I moved on. And that's how I've uh, learned. There did there was a time when I thought I was an artist and I uh, guessed it at an MFA crit class at Carnegie Mellon. And I was responding to the student's work, and somebody asked me later, they said, why did you start everything that you said with the phrase, I feel? 
you know, so I would, somebody would put their work up and I'd be like, well, I feel this. And they'd be like, I'm sorry, Professor, why does she keep talking about her feelings? And that uh, sort of sent me on a little tailspin and I was confused about what universities were training artists to do and to be. And my friend said, well, Vanessa, you're a certain kind of artist. You're the kind of artist who'll do like, you know, like Black History Month shows, you know, like I'm the type of artist, like curators will look at my work and let's different and it's okay, but it's just a certain kind of art. And I, so that was really confusing to me and it's not true about my life or my career, but there was never a time that, uh, there was just a time when I had to understand that what I do could sustain my life because I, you know, lived in poverty and collected water out of a Home Depot bucket off of a broken gutter in my bathroom, you know. So I just didn't understand that there was a switch that had to turn in my mind. And then I was like, oh, this can sustain my life. And I just, you know, decided what success looked like for me. Like it didn't Success looked like a month-long bus pass and enough art supplies to keep my hands from, like, <laughs> trying to hurt myself. Well, obviously, uh, there are curators who are aware of your work. Totally, man. And, they write me. <laughs> and your work is uh, in a museum space, and, and yes, you have is. all of that uh, by doing it based on how you feel. Um, so how does that feel? So you're, you're currently uh, one of the, the artists who is a part of the exhibition uh, here at the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. Um, what does that mean to you? What, what, what does this moment mean to you? Well, one, Spelman, Spelman's rare. So you just got to give it up to be able to come to a place where there's just all black women, like mostly, you know, which is totally rare in my world. Um, I travel a lot, and I'm always, like, I'm, like, 99.9% of the time the only black person on a plane. Uh, and so just to be in a space and I'm also obsessed with black women too like I only make figures and representations of black women and so to be here I'm sort of walking around like I gotta focus my eyes you know I gotta find this museum so I'm sort of distracted because I'm like there's you know beautiful black people everywhere because it's my world it does not look like this and then to be in the show one with so many artists uh, that I whose uh, work means so much to me that's like church that's like the ultimate church and um, when you look at the list of artists who are in this show I could like go to each of them and give great thanks for my soul for their work sustaining my life and helping to keep my heart and my soul whole so how do you speak to that how do you speak to being in a collection of women who keep you breathing their work keeps you alive and so that's um, that's a big deal. And so personally, it means a lot to me in that sense because they help keep me alive. They don't know it, but they do. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's impressive to, um, it's impressive to come from a place where, you know, other professional artists at one point were like, you're gonna be a certain kind of artist and to have a curator say, yeah, you're a certain kind of artist. And that, you know, that happens to me. I'm always grateful for that. And it's uh, a kind of validation of like me going to the university of my own soul. 
and going to the university of my mama and you know i it's funny sometimes because i didn't go to college or university but i get asked to speak at them all the time and there's this sort of moment <laughs> where i'm like at a lectern in front of an audience like something connects us and something does not but we are all here together <laughs> so it's beautiful vanessa thank you for your time thank you for your time <laughs>